begin talking about some lessons from the trail, reminding ourselves that, uh, first of all, the Christian journey is one to which we be, we're all beginners at the start and without experience and maturity in our faith. And God wants us to grow in that maturity. And so as it gets harder, meaning as God's desires and demands and needs for us increase, so he equips us and we grow and are strengthened for it. So we're asking ourselves how we mature in our faith and how God is able to continually challenge us to grow in it. Last, year, we, last week we shared the Christian faith is two things. One, it is a, an activity, an action, and then we do in expressing our faith. Things that we do, we say that are Christian behavior, it's also something that we are. And Paul described this way, is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So when we journey, we're climbing the mountains, we find a oneness in our walk with Christ. Not an add-on to life, but a new life that we have in Christ. Today I'll share with you a, a different kind of experience. Uh, this is my, was my 12th time to go hiking on the trail. Uh, got about three or four more to go still. And uh, it was the first time in all those experiences I've ever been injured in a way that I would need a rescue. All the other times, I mean, I've had sore feet, that kind of stuff, you know, just kind of comes with it. But the time when I had to get off the trail and depended on someone else to help me. Now, I'm going to tell you how it got started. Picture one. It was a nice, beautiful day. That's me. You notice that? That's me. Uh, my children taught me to, to take selfies. They said, we don't want to just see scenery. We want to prove you're there. So this is the proof that I was actually there. And no, I didn't shave. That the other side of the picture. But it started out as a nice, beautiful day. There I'd spent the morning, got me some water on this uh, lake. That was the water source for the uh, camp area I was in. And I just enjoyed sitting there as the sun came up. By the way, the sun comes up at 4.30 in the morning up that far north. And I wasn't up quite that early, but early enough. And uh, enjoyed the day as it began. It had been a long day before, rested well that night, and was by 8 o'clock ready to go. Thank you. That was it. And then I... Uh, I went walking a while, and what but about 30 minutes down the trail, something totally unexpected happened. I, I had felt good beginning, and this is how I felt on the next picture. And this is another attempt at a selfie. I wasn't smiling, if you can't tell in the story. In the picture itself, it had gotten kind of black and white on me, okay? I mean, it wasn't as much fun now when you fall and you get hurt and you're not sure what's going to be next. That's where I was only 30 minutes later. It can turn that quickly. Times, needs for rescue are not, hey, let's wait three days and know it's coming. It can happen in a moment's time, and then you have to respond to what's going to be next. Thank you. When we are uh, a major theme in the scriptures, uh, if you study the Bible, is the idea of rescue. I mean, it finds it sometimes it's one person or a group of people that rescues someone, but most of the time, it images are of God as a rescuer. Over 700 times in the Bible, it speaks about it. Some major stories that come to mind for us easily is God rescues Noah and his family in the ark. We won't talk about what happens to everybody else, okay? Now, also, he rescued the people of Israel from the people of Egypt, taking them out through his the miracles that he did and through the leading hand of Moses. In our New Testament theology, we know that Christ saved us from sin and death. So rescue is a major theme. There are a few other scriptures. I just want to share a couple of verses from Psalm 
106 verse 43. God wants to rescue us from sin and death, but we must want it. Again and again he rescued them, but they chose to rebel against him. They were finally destroyed by their sin. And when we share in the uh, uh, Lord's Prayer, we often say the phrase, lead us not into temptation. In some translations, it, looks this, it reads this way, rescue us from the evil one. That is, we're not just here making our way through our own, but we know that God is one who is there to care for us, especially in times when we cannot seem to care for ourselves. The last one, Colossians chapter 1, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, restored us into the kingdom of his dear son. It's apparent every week as you begin everyday life that rescue is around us. Uh, professionally, there are people whom we look to, policemen and firemen. Uh, we think of uh, people in ambulances that are the crews of it, of life flights. We think of when you go to the beach or to the pool, there is a lifeguard. There are people dedicated professionally to providing rescues of different kinds, and, and we depend upon them. You will hear a siren every day. If you just stand still and didn't move all day long, you'll, you'll hear one at some point. A siren is going to go by. And I don't know if you're riding down the road and I, and I hear that siren and, and can tell it's coming behind me and you look and see those lights twirling. What do you do? You move over. The first thing you do is get out of the way. That's one thing it certainly means. And I watch people, they scramble to the side. You can almost have a wreck getting out of the way, you know. The people get out of the way and the vehicles go through because there's someone depending on them. I think the person who is hearing it coming hears the sound of that siren in a different way. Instead of get out of the way, it means help is on the way. And they know that someone is coming to attend to them, and that's important. We depend on those professional people, people who dedicate themselves and are trained to different kinds of rescue. And there, there are other folks who do rescue. There are people we call Good Samaritans, you know, who, who may have a certain amount of talent, and just a moment and an instant they can help someone, and they choose to do it. I saw that happen this year when CPR was done. I was present, and, there, and I would have tried it myself. I'm trained in CPR, but the other person with me knew exactly what they were doing, and it was amazing. It was moving to see someone execute a rescue in that moment and to give breath back to another person and see that life continue. Rescue is critical to life around us. And sometimes we wonder what is our role? Where can we be in it? Sometimes we are the ones who are rescued. My rescuer was a young lady who was the staff person at the Lonesome Lake Hut in, uh, I think that's not on there. That's when we couldn't put up. Lonesome Lake is a hut. Huts are a facility in that part of New Hampshire, not found anywhere else on the trail. They're a staffed kind of uh, motel but in a very loose sense, uh, meaning that they have outhouses and no showers and no electricity. How does that go? Uh, it's a place to stay with a bunk and a mattress, and it'll hold 48 people. How about that? Some of them will hold up to 98 people. And that's where she was. And, I, and that person, to me, was a rescuer. And when I met her and, and her confidence in knowing what I needed helped me tremendously. But that's getting a little ahead of the moment right here. We are looking and knowing their rescuers. The church is often a place of rescue. In the week's time, people will come to our facility needing help. 
It may take the form of uh, assistance financially for something in need. It may be food. People do that sometimes. Sometimes it's a need for someone with compassion to share and listen to a problem and to pray with them. And we always will do that with anyone who enters this place. They just need to let us know. This is a rescue place. And if it's doing its job, we're about doing that often as a church. And I'm thankful for many of you that help in different ways to provide rescue, caring, compassion, using all that you know how to help. The two stories I want to intertwine for a moment. That is my own story of rescue and also the one of our story here in the passage. Take you back to the one that was mine. And, and I want to share with you, first of all, something that came to mind immediately when I... Well, let me back up a second. After leaving my campsite at 8.30 that morning, I was walking downhill. I'd been over the top just that evening, and it was a big mountain. It was going to take uh, three and a half miles to get to the bottom of it. And I was feeling good. I mean, it was a beautiful morning. The sky was blue. The sun was shining. And it was easy walking compared to the day before. And I had my pack on, and it didn't feel too heavy. And I start walking. And I'm going only about 30 minutes I'm enjoying sightseeing, maybe a little more than I should have, because if you're really going to be careful on the trail, you're almost always looking at your feet, unless you stop to look at something else. And here it happens. I'm walking down a a long rock that's sloped. It doesn't look particularly dangerous or slippery, and before I know it, my feet both fly out under me, and I fall backwards, which usually is not bad, because you got a pack on you. And the pack is there, and it's soft, and you fall on it, and you get up and say, who tripped me? You know, that's the kind of thing you usually do. This particular day, though, time, I fell and turned sideways instead of flat on my back. And on the side of my pack is a plastic water bottle, a hard plastic water bottle. And three things met, a rock, a, a water bottle, and my ribs. And the one that gave loose was the ribs. That's what happened. And when I, I fell, and it hurt. Immediately I got up and I knew that it was more than just, it was more than just something that was uh, going to bruise and I was going to need help. So I stopped for a moment and thought. I thought, first of all, uh, Glenn, are you okay? I think I'm okay. Nothing's bleeding that I can tell. That's the first thing you want to make sure of. Didn't hit my head. Uh, what are you going to do next, Glenn? Well, I've got to get off this mountain. That's what you got to do. You know that? Some of rescue is self-rescue. I want to share with you a hiker's code that I saw on a billboard just a few days earlier. At some road crossings, uh, the Forest Service has an information board. Usually it has a map. It had also this hiker's responsibility code. It says, you're responsible for yourself, so be prepared with knowledge and gear. That is, those are things you need to have. Be self-reliant by learning about the terrain, conditions, local weather, and your equipment before you start. That means you've prepared yourself. Number two, next thing you do is to to leave your plans. That is, tell someone where you're going, the trail you'll be on, hiking, uh, when you return, and your emergency plans. And and I have had a practice of always letting Vicki know where I am going. Uh, I leave her some information on where I'll be on the trail. I call most every day. I tell her where I am. Um, If there's something identification place. I'll tell her about what that place is. If it's a shelter or something else. Um, On the trail, I have a habit of writing my name in the journals and huts because if they're looking physically for someone, they'll send hikers through the trail and they'll check those logbooks and see if you signed in and they'd know you came that far. 
So it's important that you leave concrete information about where you are. Number three is to stay together. Well, I didn't do that one because I wasn't with anybody. Go to the next one. And number four, next one, uh, to turn back. Um, if the weather changes quickly in the mountains, fatigue and other expect, unexpected conditions, you should be prepared to leave. And the last says the mountains will be there in another day. So you're supposed to be responsible to know that if it's dangerous, get on out. Don't just keep going. The last one was most important. This is what came to mind to me. For emergencies, even if you are headed out for just an hour, an injury, severe weather, or a wrong turn can become life-threatening. Don't assume you'll be rescued. Know how to rescue yourself. That phrase just stuck in my mind. Know how to rescue yourself. So standing there, the thought comes to me, first of all, Glenn, um, you got to get off the mountain. Right now, I'm feeling okay. It hurts, but I can walk. So I began a two-mile descent very slowly, so I won't fall. That's okay. Turn that one off. So I I don't fall again, and I'm waiting to see, uh, to get to that hut where I'll be at, knowing that God has watches over us. But you know, the backcountry is a worrisome place for hikers because you're miles and miles away from anything. This particular stretch was 15 miles from one road to the next. After I cross out one road, it'd be 26 miles to the next one. So there's long stretches. If you have a, a problem, you have a real problem. And I felt like I was being watched over. I called Vicki to let her know where I was, how I was doing. In the account of our story, we find that uh, Jesus meets the man. He goes across the Sea of Galilee. Remember, this is to the other side, not the side where the people of Israel in large crowds met with him all the time, where the feeding of the 5,000 happened. This is the other side, where the, the Gerasenes lived. These are the people who were of the former tribes that lived in uh, this place of Israel that did not worship the same God. Their lifestyle was different. They had other things in their lives that didn't acknowledge God. And over there is where Jesus went. And getting out of the boat, he meets this man. Now, we're only told that the man came down to him and uh, fell down before him and says, what would you do with me, O son of God? And what Jesus was aware of is this man was possessed by demons and needed to be healed. Now, I thought as I present this story, um, there's a couple of thoughts that come to people's mind. First of all, I don't believe in demons. And I'm supposed to stand here in the next five minutes and tell you to believe in them. Well, I'm not going to take that avenue on it. I'm going to say to you that they are real in very different ways. And I want you to understand that there's a need for someone here to be rescued. Somebody may think, given our development today, well, you know, if, if we were talking in terms today, we might say this man has some emotional issues. He has some unhealthy mind and he needs real help. And he might be in clinical trials and every kind of possible medicine you can put him on to hope he has a sane life to live. We might in our day think in those terms. What you do find is that Jesus helps him. What he could not do for himself and his town could not do for him, Jesus could. Here's a man who is naked, living in a cemetery. Does that scream, rescue me to you? I mean, if your life has gotten down to that, don't you say, somebody help me. 
All the town had been able to do was to attempt to restrain him with chains to keep him somewhere under control, and it didn't work. He would break free, and they were just glad he wasn't in town, that he was now outside of town. They didn't know what to do, but Jesus does. He is the best of all rescuers. And as the man shouts out, Jesus listens to what's said, and he provides help. Now, if we aren't careful in the telling of the story, we'll focus on those 2,000 pigs. I would say that if, if this were a news story in America today, it probably would say, Jesus responsible for mass pig slaughter. That's what would show up. And, that, and, and they would interview everybody around about losing their pig and how it was devastating them economically, and Jesus would be the bad guy before it was over with. That's how we would report it today. And if Jesus' name even got mentioned, it would really be about the economics, you know. All these poor old pigs are now dead in the sea, and they're going to miss the economy. Don't you wish you had stocks and pigs now? You could get more for your pig. That's what our culture would see. And when the people from the town came out, the loss was great in one way for them, but they didn't see something else. That is what Jesus had done. You got to know in the story that Jesus is the rescuer. And when you're rescued, life changes. A rescuer is precious. When I arrived at the hut about 1030, a young lady who was, have I told this yet? I can't remember. <laughs> I tell these stories in one service at 1030. And um, she asked me about how I'm doing because I came in. I'd put my pack outside. And I told her that I was, uh, had fallen to hurt myself. She wanted to know that I hit my head, and I told her no, I didn't hit my head. She went and got her stethoscope because she was a trained EMT. And she came back out, asked me some more questions, looked me in the eyes, and she asked me who's the president. I stumbled through that answer, but I had it. And uh, she was convinced I, I was okay uh, for that. And she listened to my lungs to make sure they weren't compromised in some way. And she, she touched the place in my back where my ribs were, and she could tell there wasn't a, anything sticking out that shouldn't be. And uh, she knew it was hurting me, and she went and put a, a coal pack on it for me. In fact, it was a, it was a bag of frozen corn out of the freezer. She put it in a pack, and it, it helped while she talked to me. And she gave me something to eat, a bowl of soup and something to drink, and, and she let me rest there for a few minutes, and she went off to talk to some of her bosses on a radio about what to do next. I found out as I was telling this young lady, and I'll put her probably in about her 30s, I was telling this lady about what happened to me that and she responded in the most compassionate and direct way you could, that I began to cry. It caught me by surprise. I think maybe when you, when all those unanswered questions about rescue, find an answer. You know, who's going to help me? What do I need? How am I going to get from here to where I need help? When you find someone who comes up and they are your rescuer, it just brought tears to me. I think she didn't know what to make of it. I honestly didn't either. I had to think later about, now, why, why did that happen? It just came out at that moment that I needed someone. And she happened to be the one that day. And she was kind. And she spent that 30 minutes dealing with me, and they were changing out shifts. And this is the next part of the story. It was time to figure out what to do with me. And her bosses said, well, take him to the nearest hospital. Someone needs to get him there. And there was a... Uh, family that had volunteered 
helped her the night before, uh, were up as a part of her crew, and they were leaving. And the family had a car a mile and a half away at a parking uh, lot. And they agreed to let me walk with them down, and I walked at the same pace as their six-year-old grandson. Uh, Jake and I got down there together, and we got to there, and as I was walking down, uh, they had a a, daughter, a granddaughter who's probably about 15 years old. She was uh, very healthy, and she liked to hike, and she ran to the car and put down her pack and came back to get mine. I felt rescued. And we got down to their car, and they squeezed everything, including me, into it and took me 25 miles to the hospital. Uh, he, Pete, being the grandfather, took me inside the emergency room and turned me over to the people there and made sure I was in the hands of those people. Rescue is good. When you need it, nothing is better. Didn't know I would need it. That morning when I got up at 8 o'clock, I had no idea my day was going to be like. I thought it was going to be a sunshiny, beautiful day. You know, eight miles later, I'd be sitting in a campground mid-afternoon enjoying myself. Had no idea. Rescue sometimes comes that way. I believe that what happened to me is so minor next to what happens to many people. It may have happened to you. There are a lot of tragedies in our own community as siren sound and sometimes uh, helicopters come in to rescue people. Their need for rescue that's far more critical. And we're thankful for rescuers. In our story, Jesus is the one who's the great rescuer. As he is for us. There sits the man as the crowd talks to Jesus and says to him, after hearing and looking around and learning the story, uh, go away. They want him to go away. Don't stay in our area. Leave, if you will. And there sits the man who is healed. He's now dressed in the clothes. He's in his right mind, and people notice that, but that doesn't really seem to interest him. I'd go back to those headlines again. All their pigs are in the water. That's where their mind is. He's destroyed us financially, and we just want him to go away. The man sitting there in his right mind, he's been rescued. Two questions come to mind when you talk about rescue. Sometimes one is apparent to everyone. Rescued from what? From an emergency need, a health need, or something else that's critical in your life right now. We often come and we know what we're rescued from because relief comes with it. We struggle over is what we're rescued for. I believe that Jesus is the great rescuer. And part of our struggle is to know what we're rescued from and for. In the scriptures it says, he's the one who rescues us from sin and death. We connect the word sin to him and rescue. And we understand what kind of rescuer he is. And we are made new because of it. And there sits that man back in his right mind. He's been rescued by Jesus, but the crowd doesn't know what to do with him. They're not paying attention. The sad part, there's no celebration whatsoever. Now he's there in his right mind. No one seems to notice. He says to Jesus, can I go with you? 
Wouldn't that seem like a great thing to do? Couldn't you imagine when they got back to the other side that he would be the first person to get up and be able to talk to the crowd and say, by the way, this is what was happening in my life and Jesus rescued me. Wouldn't that have been a great lead in to Jesus' ministry? How people could hear what he'd done and see a person that said, I've been rescued by him. Wow, that sure would have been good. But Jesus said, instead, go home and tell everyone what God has done for you. The next time Jesus comes to this side of the Sea of Galilee, it's reported the crowds gathered in masses, just like they often did on the other side. Why do you suppose that was true? Could it be because this one man who'd been rescued and now left behind found out not only what he was rescued from, but what he was rescued for? And they received Jesus. How are we today? Are you rescued by him? If we don't ever feel like we're a sinner, And we're not sure that Jesus can help us. But we know that we are. He is just what we need. If you know someone else who's struggling, maybe sometimes we're a part of the rescue. We help lead people to other kinds of care, just like this lady did for me, and also to Christ. People need to know he is there for us. He's there who loves us. He's one who watches over us. Jesus is looking for all of us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that your love is far-reaching, that Jesus isn't turned away. Whatever our need, nothing is beyond you. And yes, Lord, you call us to be responsive in that process of rescue, that we accept the gift, the forgiveness, the opportunities of service that go with the rescue. Lord, you hear the prayers of those who are present here today. You know where our struggles are, our needs are. Help us, Lord. Help us here. Help us now. As only you can. In Jesus we ask. Amen.